Welcome to the 31st episode of Spurbs Herbs. Today we're going to be talking about a really interesting herb called Tianmin Dong or Asparagi radix, commonly known as asparagus tuber. So you guys should be familiar with asparagus. This is more on the, the root side of it than the, than the tasty tip side of it, but still same plant. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So today we're discussing a useful herb, one that possibly can be found at least the aerial parts in your refrigerator right now, Tianmen Dong or asparagus tuber. Very useful herb, part of the nin nourishing, excuse me, yin nourishing herb category, which is very helpful for various conditions, but especially gynecological and postmenopausal. And of course, we have a little something different. We're going to discuss part of a passage of the Dao Te Ching. That is on today's episode, so stay tuned. I do, before we get going, I do want to talk to you. I am finishing up my drug herb webinar series. If you want to know more about drugs, how they interact with herbs, and how they act according to Chinese medicine, this is the series for you. Everyone should get a ton of information from the first two courses in the series. The first being the basics of pharmacology, where we discuss how drugs and by the same token herbs work on the body. We get into the ADME scheme, all sorts of stuff. And two, our, the second uh, course in the series is the drug-herb interactions and the matrix, which describes major risk factors for interactions and gives you a unique, powerful, real-world tool for assessing those risks. To check out this series and all of my online and live California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activity courses, go to www.integrativemedicinecouncil.gov. That's uh, Integrative Medicine Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org. Thank you. All right. So we recently discussed the concept of yin from a medical and practical point of view. That was just a few episodes ago. Since today herb is a yin nourishing herb, I thought we would continue our look at this important concept, but maybe from a more philosophical point of view. And that got me thinking about a very important quote from the Tao Te Ching, a foundational book for the philosophy of Taoism attributed to Lao Tzu. So there's a couple things right in here. I said philosophy of Taoism. Um, I, I, I often taught this course uh, introducing the philosophies of, of China, and I would always ask the question, what's the difference between a philosophy and a religion? And then we'd have a great conversation about that. And then I kind of explained that Taoism, some people, it is a philosophy, all religions are philosophies, but it also, some people take it into the realm of religion. And so the, the question is, where does that cross over? So it is a philosophy. It, it, it doesn't, like, for example, um, you know, uh, teachers that I've had uh, are Taoist in philosophy, but still Christian in religion. Uh, so they aren't mutually exclusive. But this is a philosophy of Taoism that we are talking about here. The quote we wanted, I want to talk about is from the first two lines of chapter 42, um, which always surprises me because I always think it's the first chapter because it is kind of foundational. 
uh, but it actually is in the 42nd chapter of 81, so right at about the halfway point. Um, and here are several potential translations of this verse. So remember, it's in Chinese, so there's different translations available depending on who's translating it into English. And here's one. Uh, the Tao produced one, one produced two, two produced three, three produced all things. And this is from Leg, uh, who is sort of uh, one of the first authors in the West. This is written in 1891, so it's quite a while ago, um, but still quite revered as, as a, a translator. Uh, the second quote here, the way produces one, one produces two, two produces three, three produces everything. This is translated by Liu Qi Xuan, as it's talked about in Garofalo. And then here's the third one. And this, this is probably one of my, my favorite ones. Um, this is by Wu in 1961. Dao gave birth to one. One gave birth to two. Two gave birth to three. Three gave birth to, the, to all the myriad things. So that is five quotes of the, of the same thing. Um, you'll often, it is often will be translated as like um, uh, Dao begot one begot one, one begot two, rather than birth. So you'll see different translations along those lines. Uh, so, but they're all very similar in this, in this sort of approach to things. Now, one thing, if you're looking at this, you might notice that sometimes I, I, I write uh, Dao, D-A-O, and sometimes I write uh, Dao, T-A-O. And so that is the difference between Wade Giles and, and Pinyin as a way of Latinizing the Chinese ideograms. We've talked about this briefly in the past. So today, the, the current pinion is pretty um, widely accepted, and it, the appropriate way is DAO um, rather than TAO, though you'll still see TAO quite a bit uh, around, especially in titles of books that are a bit older. Um, so I, I kept TAO when the book actually used TAO, but technically it should be DAO at this point. And the same thing, um, Dao De Jing sometimes is, is, is spelled T-A-O, T-E, sometimes T-E-H, and then uh, uh, C-H-I-N-G, and I just realized there's a mistake on this, um, where currently it should be D-A-O, D-E-J-I-N-G. So there you go. So we're talking about one, two, and three. So what are these one, two, and three that are talked about in this quote? So while it's in almost everything, there is some controversy going on about this. Some say the one refers to the Taiji, or grand ultimate, which is represented by that symbol we know, often called the yin-yang symbol here in the West, but more appropriately called the Taiji two or Taiji symbol. That's technically what it is. And that's the, you know, the swirling, the white with the black, with the the black circle in the in the in the white swirling side and the white circle in the black circle swirling swirling side, that's the Taiji symbol, the Taiji two. So that could be what it's it's and that's just a symbol, of course. But that Taiji, the grand ultimate, that idea, that concept, could be what this one is. Others say the one is the primeval chi or the undifferentiated or primordial ether. So in other words, what existed before anything existed. Primeval chi is equated to prenatal or congenital chi in the human body, of the human body. So there is sort of a, a, um, a potential medical aspect of this as well. 
leg, remember it was the first one, but 1891, so old, states the later version and adds the one may actually refer to the Tao. So it says the Tao produces the Tao, produces the one. Um, the Tao creates a manifest Tao, or the non-existent becomes existent. So in other words, in the quote it says the Tao produces one, and he's saying, well, that one is the Tao. It's just now a manifest Tao, where before it was not manifest. A little confusing, but very interesting. He also says it may refer to heaven. The one may refer to heaven. All of these are probably pretty similar in different views of the same thing. Uh, there are, though there are some philosophical differences. I think with any major philosophical older text, you're going to have lots of different er interpretations. And we see that when that comes into religion, that we see lots of different sects, S-E-C-T, uh, sects breaking off based on these slightly subtle philosophical differences about what is written. What is pretty well established is that the two refers to yin and yang, or some will say elementary yin and yang. In other words, this is the polar manifestation of the one. They are not separate from the one. They are another perspective or manifestation of the one. And I think that Taiji symbol sums that up quite well, where you have the whole of the symbol, but in the whole is this swirling yin and yang, and within yin there's yang, and within yang there's yin. And I think that's a really, really nice symbol for yin and yang. Uh, they are opposites that integrate into the whole and cannot exist without and mutually generate each other. So they're always kind of, um, they, they can't be weakened. So that's one of the things from a Western point of view, and Leg brings this up quite a bit, um, that from a Western point of view, there's this sort of, we like to think of good versus evil. We, we have this duality, but we think one can overcome the other side. In Chinese thought, they can't. Um, yin and yang, black and white, are always there, are always integral, and they never deplenish each other in any way, shape, or form, and they mutually engender each other. So as white becomes really strong, yin or yang becomes very strong, it turns yin and vice versa. I, in other words, they're different sides of the same coin. You can't, they, they can't change the coin. They're just two different sides of the same coin. While the Dao may not be hugely controversial, the two, I'm sorry, the two may not be hugely controversial. The three is. Some say it refers to Tian Ren Di or heaven, human, and earth. So this is a, a, a normal, this is sort of a, a common cosmology of Taoism that human stands between heaven and earth and is a, is a combination of heaven and earth. Others says it refers to Jing Qi Shen, which is translated as essence Qi, same Qi, in spirit, while this may have some cosmological implications, it, may, it is much more useful in a medical context. Each of these are medical terms in, in uh, Chinese medicine. And, uh, and I'll introduce another thing that I think they might be as well. Renninger, who uh, did a nice article on this on the internet, says it may refer to trigrams made up of a combination of three lines of yin and yang. So uh, that's where the three comes from. And why you go, well, why just trigrams? Well, this, this refers to the Yi Jing, which is another major um, text of Taoism, Taoist philosophy. And it is made up, it, it is used, it, 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 it 
looks at what are known as the 64 hexagrams, which are each made up of two trigrams, and each trigram is um, made up of three lines, each line representing yin or yang. And more technically, there's there's older yang and, and younger yin, uh, yang, and older yin and younger yin. So there's four different possibilities, one meaning that it's about to change. One is sort of stable, and one is about to change. And so it sets up 64 times 64 different possibilities because you start off with a hexagram and then it transforms into another hexagram, which at some point I'm sure we'll talk about the Yijing. But at this point, it's the trigrams, the basic building block of the Yijing that we're talking about here is the three. Another interpretation of the three is that it refers to yin, yang, and qi. Uh, so Renninger calls this mean qi and says it is the state when elementary yin qi elementary yang qi commune with each other without conflict. So this, this introduces a little bit more language, um, which is, you know, we've said yin and yang, you know, we use that a lot in Chinese medicine, yin and yang, but um, sometimes it's referred to as yin qi and yang qi. In fact, I was, I was kind of told that qi is yin and yang together. So it's sort of this whole, so it kind of, I, I can see that interpretation to a certain extent here that the three is the yin, yang, and qi. Yet another possibility is that it refers to the three pure ones or highest gods in Taoism. So that was an interesting interpretation I saw in my research. But my favorite is a quote from Leg. So again, 1891, uh, after explaining a few of these options, so he talked about several of these options. I didn't necessarily attribute them specifically to Leg because they're, they're fairly common in, in interpretations. But then he says, he writes, I dare not hazard a guess as to what the three were. So he's pretty specific about what um, are some possibilities for the one. Um, he's pretty definitive on what's, what are the two. But as he goes into the three, he says, I'm not, I'm not wading into this at all. So there you go. And, and I've, you know, I read the Tao, I, the Tao Te Ching when I was 19, 18, 19, and have contemplated it ever since. And while I have ideas of what I think the three are, they're they're not definitive by any means. They change and they morph and they 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 shake a little bit. So I, I love contemplating it though. So we have talked about the one, two, and three, but we haven't discussed the five phases, also known as the five elements. I think the translation of phases is a much more appropriate translation, but it's more often translated as elements. Some say the myriad things refer to these, though I think that may be a bit of a stretch. So remember the one, verse two, verse three, verse the myriad, 10,000 myriad things. And so um, it's, it specifically says 10,000. So I don't think it's five phases, but I think the five phases are part of the myriad thing. So it's just interesting. We have one, two, and three, but we're skipping five, which is also part of Taoist cosmology. And of course is very important in Chinese medicine as well. So, so, what do we get out of all of this? So the Tao exists, according to the Tao Jing. It produces or manifests yin and yang. These interact to produce the three, whatever they may be. Though all of the possibilities we discussed may be the same thing from different perspectives. And that's a very Taoist point of view. And then the three makes everything possible. So that's a basic interpretation of these lines. We don't have enough time to get into how modern science and especially quantum mechanics may not be so far from this perspective or that I like to look at the three in terms of Jing Qi and Shen as id, ego, and superego when applied to psychology. I think that's actually quite appropriate. 
uh, when you look at these in a certain extent when you're talking about psychology. But that leaves us more to discuss later. So there's a lot more in depth to go into. I especially like this quantum mechanics. There's a great book, Tao of Physics, that kind of goes into quantum mechanics and Taoism. Uh, fantastic. I read that when I was going, uh, well, uh, I don't know if I read it before I went to college or during college, but I wrote uh, a very well-received paper in my honors chemistry class as a, as a, well, I, as a sophomore, I guess, and it was uh, the Tao of Chemistry, so I kind of went into all this. So I enjoy this sort of thought process. Uh, so there you go. So if you finish this part of the podcast a little confused, maybe a little titillated philosophically with your brain firing, yet a little empty, welcome to Taoism. <laughs> that is kind of Taoism in a, in a bit of a nutshell. So um, I, I, I enjoy that, that um, process and that, that sort of sense that I'm not quite getting the full picture. Um, and, and remember the full, the, you know, the very first quote in the Tao Te Ching is the Tao that can be spoken of is not the true Tao. Um, and again, of course, there's different interpretations, translations of that as well. So that is kind of Taoism. It's like, just as you think you know what you might be talking about, you're wrong. So <laughs> I love it. Always something to think about. So with that, let's get into our herb of the day. So as I said, today is Tianmen Dong, or asparagus tumor. It's from the family Liliaceae, which we have discussed before. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The species, the specific species, is asparagus cochin conchinensis. That's all one word, cochin conchinensis. And uh, it then has the, uh, in parentheses, L-O-U-R period and mer, M-E-R-R. And we've discussed earlier that that basically means that uh, a specific uh, botanist or biologist, uh, Lore, um, first discovered this species or described this species, and then they got reassigned into a different species or something by Murr, who is now, or maybe it's vice versa, but um, both of them were involved in the classification of this, of this herb. The medicinal part is, is actually the tuber or the radix, and so the lower part of this. Its English translation of Tianmen Dong is heavenly, Tian. We just said Tianren Di for heaven, man, and earth, or human, uh, heaven, human, and earth. T same Tian here, heaven. So heavenly gate, winter, that's what it actually means. Other names, and you'll actually, in my research, I found this name to be a little bit more common outside of the Materia Medicas, uh, the basic Materia Medicas that I used, and that is Tian Dong. So they kind of get rid of that, that, um, the middle part, the gate part. Uh, other names for this is Dian Le or Curb at the Top as a translation. Tian Ji or Heavenly Thorn. Of course, if you've ever seen asparagus grow, that's quite appropriate. Uh, Ling Tian Dong or Clear Heavenly Winter. Uh, Fei Tian Dong or Fat Heavenly Winter. Da Tian Dong or Large Heavenly Winter. And then in Japanese, Tenmen Do. And in Korean, Cheong Mung Dong. Again, I don't know how to, uh, I barely know how to speak Chinese, and I definitely know how to, don't know how to speak Japanese or Korean, so please excuse me. The, the dosing on this, um, remember I used three major sources and, of course, a bunch of other sources. Uh, so one of those is Bensky says the dose is 6 to 12 grams. Uh, and uh, another source, Chen and Chen. Uh, and then my, my third source, Brandon Wiseman, all say, they both say the dosage is actually 6 to 15 grams, so you can eat, you can have more than the, the 12 grams that's in Bensky's. 
All right, let's talk a little bit about the Liliaceae family. So this is the lily family. So uh, you guys should be familiar with lilies. Contains about 15 genera. So asparagus is the genera. And 610 species of flowering plants, including lilies and tulips. So uh, colchinensis is the species of this. So right off the bat, um, just on that, on that note really quick, um, you know, I, what I found was uh, some confusion about the, the, the species. The species is very specific and very definite, and all the materia medica agree that this is the species. However, when you start looking at asparagus as we would eat it as, as a, a vegetable, uh, that species is often called asparagus officinalis. And um, what I found is in a lot of the Western books and some of the, the other books, it wasn't exactly clear which asparagus they were talking about. Uh, and there seemed to be a lot of overlap potentially with the medicinal uses of the two species. And I'm not sure if that was just a little bit of, of um, not being specific on the parts of the authors or whether there actually is some overlap in, in these species to a certain extent. Uh, my, my sense is the species aren't that different, but they're different enough to be different species. So, all right, so just as a little side here. So back to the Liliaceae family. Common characteristics include large flowers with parts arranged in threes with six colored or patterned petaloid tepals. So a tepal is one of the outer points of uh, parts of a flower, uh, collectively the perianth. Well, I don't think we need to know that. The term is used when these parts cannot be easily classified as either sepals or petals. So often we, we talk about the petals of, of this. And that's what it says here. A tepal is an undifferentiated petal and, uh, and sepal. A sepal, if you haven't heard that term, is a part of the flower of angiosperms, uh, flowering plants. Usually green sepals typically function as protection for the flower and bud and often as support for the petals when in bloom. So that's the green part underneath the, the petals, basically. And that, if you think about it, this undifferentiated petal and sepal is perfect for the asparagus. If you've ever seen asparagus, that you can't really... There's a flowery part, that's the tip of the asparagus, but it's undifferentiated, it's not a flower uh, that we would know about it. So there you go. Uh, these tepals are arranged in two whorls. Whorl, W-H-O-R-L, is a cluster of cells or tissue that surrounds another and wraps around another in an expanding circular pattern. Again, perfect of what the asparagus looks like. Uh, it has six stamens, stamens and a superior ovary. Most species are grown from bulbs, although some have rhizomes, and many Liliaceae are important ornamental plants. Not necessarily asparagus. I guess it's beautiful in its own way, but it's not you know beautiful flower or anything along those lines. The category for this herb, according to Bensky, is tonifies the yin. Chen Chen says it's yin a yin tonifying herb. And Brandon Wiseman says it is a yin supplementing medicinal. So um, really, they all say the exact same thing. They just have slightly different translations of it. Bensky and his team says it is sweet, bitter, and very cold. and enters the kidney and lung. Both Brandon Wiseman and Chen Chen agree. However, Brandon Wiseman says it also enters the stomach channel, not just the kidney and lung channel. Bensky and Chen Chen uh, 
and, and the only reason why I quote these two books is because Brandon Wiseman doesn't really go into this, so it's really just these two books as sources. Agree that the original source of this herb is the Shendang Ben Sam Jing, or the Divine Husbandsman's Classic of the Materia Medica, which was written in the 2nd century CE. We have a lot of our herbs that come from this. This is the first existent uh, uh, book on single herbs, so a lot of our herbs come from that. And it's important. It basically means this is one of the oldest herbs in the, in the Materia Medica. I, I, I should say they were used for, you know, a thousand plus years before it was written down in the Shenyang Ben Saojing. So it could be, you know, there, there's definitely differentials in, in age of these herbs. But as far as being recorded, they all were recorded around the same time here. So quality of this. According to Bensky and his team, good quality consists of a thick, full, compact, yellowish-white and translucent roots. Uh, he says, uh, their team says there, there are three names for Tianmen Dong based on the place of origin. Uh, Chuan Dian Tian Dong, Wen Tian Dong, and Hu Tian Dong with the best quality coming from Guo Guizhou, Guizhou province, G-U-I-C-H-O-U, Guizhou. Zhao and Chen say superior materi medicinal material is thick and strong, yellowish white, and translucent. There you go. And of course that translucent with both of these is after they're dried. So what do these do according to Chinese medicine? According to Bensky, Tiamen uh, Dong has two Chinese medical actions. It nourishes the kidney yin and clears lung heat, and it moistens the lungs, nourishes the kidneys, and generates fluids. Chen Chen agrees, saying it clears lung heat, sedates fire, and nourishes the yin and moistens dryness. So it's not specific to the kidney here, but still similar. Both authors emphasize its ability to treat consumption or tuberculosis. So consumption is the old name for tuberculosis. Uh, and a lot of this was translated, you know, a while ago. So some of it still translates as consumption, but it, it, they also will say tuberculosis. Brandon Wiseman says it nourishes lung yin and clears lung heat, enriches kidney yin and downbears vacuity fire and boosts the stomach and engenders liquid. So that's why they add the stomach as one of the, the channels entered. They add it can be ad additionally used to treat painful, swollen, sore throat. Zhao and Chen, which is really, um, I already referred to them when talking about quality. Um, Zhao and Chen is uh, a book on how to identify high quality herbs, but it does have some functions as well. And they say it nourishes yin, moistens dryness, clears the lungs, and engenders fluids. So nothing that far afield from what we've already talked about. The Divine Farmer's Materia Medica, so this is that Shendang Ben Sao Jing that we talked about earlier, so this is the translation of that, it says it is a superior grade herb. So one of the things the, the Shendang Ben Sao Jing does is grades herbs into superior, medium, uh, and, and inferior grades. And basically, uh, superior grade is something that you can eat often for health. Uh, and so there you go. It says a superior grade herb, and it mainly treats all sudden wind dampness and hemilateral impediment. In other words, uh, trouble moving half your side. That would be 
often refers, not exclusively, but often refers to a stroke. It strengthens the bone marrow, kills the three kinds of worms, and removes the hidden corpse. I have no idea what it means by removing the hidden corpse. That's, um, there are some spiritual aspects to the Shandong Ben Sao Jing, and so that, I'm assuming, is one of those. Protracted taking may make the body light, boost the chi, and prolong life. Footnote adds, nowadays it's used to treat panting, steaming heat, which uh, is, can be th that consumption, and we often, uh, that tuberculosis, injection of blood, and vacuity taxation. In addition, it is good for moistening dry intestines. There you go, interesting. All right, so that's Chinese medical actions. Lots of interesting perspectives there. From a Western point of view, asparagus. So again, we're getting into that. Is this the same species or is this a different species? Are they similar? Are they not similar? So take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. But asparagus is a Commission E approved herb. So if you're not familiar with Commission E, this was something done in the 80s and 90s in Europe and actually looked at scientific evidence. Uh, so when Commission E approved it, it meant it could be sold uh, openly in the, in the European Union. European European Union, and that usually means there's at least some evidence of its efficacy, of its effectiveness. So that's a, that's a pretty good indication that it was it's a, it's a good herb, you know, that does what it says it's supposed to do. So they approved it, Commission E approved it for treating urinary tract infections and kidney and bladder stones, and an unproven use of this, according to the West, is as a diuretic. Uh, and again, this is a species of Asparagus officinalis, which is not the same species of Tianmen Dong. Having said this, its entry in the PDR for herbal medicines, which is a big book uh, that is, uh, explains a lot about herbs, especially from a Western point of view, does list Chinese medical applications consistent with traditional uses of this Asparagus officinalis. So that's why I think there may be some overlap or maybe a different name of the same species. I'm not sure, um, but... I, I would take this into account more than I would in other herbs. They also say it is used in homeopathy for kidney stones and cardiac insufficiency. So Bensky is usually has a, a lot of really good commentary that kind of teases out some of the key aspects of these herbs. And the commentary in Bensky discusses some interesting aspects of this herb. It is most often used in the treatment of disorders such as cough due to lung heat injuring the yin, wasting and thirsting disorder due to internal heat from yin deficiency injuring the yang fluid. So wasting and thirsting disorder um, is often equated with diabetes, uh, but it, it's not necessarily 100% the way. I don't like doing equations between Western and, and Eastern diseases or conditions in either direction because I think it's a little fuzzy to do that, but that's often uh, how it's associated with. And it's also uh, uh, treatment of constipation due to intestinal dryness. Uh, they, they actually translated a uh, essays, uh, I, I guess I, I want to say essays, I'm not sure, I think this is a book, Essays on Medicine Esteeming the Chinese and Respecting the Western observes that it is sweet, slightly acrid, so slightly spicy, and cooling, full of fluids, and rich, slippery, and moistening. So as soon as we see that slippery here, we know that it's not going to be easy to digest. 
general. Uh, this continues It's to say its color is yellow with whiteness. It enters the lungs to cool dry heat. Thus, it excels at facilitating the removal of phlegm and calming coughs. It enters the stomach to reduce excess heat and thus generates fluids and alleviates thirst. With a nature that is rich in yang fluids, slippery with yin fluids, it unblocks and facilitates the movement of both stool and urine, reaches throughout the channels and collaterals, and although it is a yin-enriching herb, in fact, it also can tonify and augment the qi level. So this is a really kind of powerful herb. All right, let's talk about some preparations of this. Uh, Bensky has um, some traditional preparations. These include fresh asparagus tuber, xian tian dong, are colder than the dried variety, quite rich in moistening, and very nourishing to the yin and fluent fluids. Hence, they are often used for insatiable thirst that nothing else will quench. There you go, asparagus juice. There you go. Dry-fried asparagus tuber, chow tian dong, is where sections or slices of the herb are dry-fried or baked until slightly yellow. This method of preparation reduces their greasy, cloying effect and facilitates digestion. So if someone has difficulty with digestion, this is the way you want to take this herb. Raw asparagus juice, or sheng tianmen dong zhe, is where the fresh tubers are wrapped in cloth that is twisted tightly to extract the juice, which is then added to the decoction. Its nature is very cold, but quite sweet and tasty, with a strong ability to nourish the yin and generate fluids. It can also cool the blood and stop bleeding, especially that, that related to lung or stomach heat. And the juice is particularly suited to those patients who are unable to eat and who are vomiting blood due to stomach heat. That cold nature of it. A couple more preparations. Prepared asparagus tuber jur tiandong is similar to the chow uh, tiandong or the dry fried, where sections or slices of the herb are mixed with honey and then dried fried until the honey has been absorbed and the herb has turned dark yellow. This enables the herb to better moisten the lungs and stop coughs due to lung yin deficiency. And finally, we have cinnabar asparagus tuber, zhu tian dong, is when the tubers are sprayed with water to moisten them, left covered briefly, then sprayed with finely powdered cinnabaris, or zhu sha, and stirred until evenly coated. This method endows the herb with a spirit calming action that is most appropriate treating insomnia, irritability, or emotional disturbance associated with lung and kidney yin deficiency. So cinnabar is, if you're not familiar with it, is a, is a mercury alloy. And uh, generally, we, we don't use that in the, in the United States because of mercury and the fact that it can be poisoning. Though the alloy, my understanding is the alloy makes it fairly safe to consume. It's not something I'm going to jump at um, to my patients. Finally, Brandon Wiseman, that was all from um, Bensky and his team. Brandon Wiseman says it's often stir-fried before use. And again, as we mentioned, that may be because it helps digestion. All right, let's compare this. There's, there's two herbs we're going to compare this, but really one main one, uh, and that is this one. Tianmen Tian dong is often compared with Maimendong or Ophiophagonus radix. 
Vensky says both herbs nourish the lung in, moisten dryness, and stop coughs, and are used together in such disorders as dry cough and blood in the sputum, thirst due to injured yin, and constipation resulting from intestinal dryness. However, Tianmendong is very cold and more strongly clears heat and moistens dryness. It also enriches the kidney yin, which Maimendong does not do. So the kidney is important. That is the source of yin, uh, according to a lot of, of, um, of uh, theory. And so we, we, you know, if necessary, that's an important thing to have. And that's a thing that Tianmendong does over Maimendong. By contrast, Maimendong is slightly cold and less yin nourishing, but is also less greasy and cloying than Tianmendong, and it can eliminate irritability, which Tianmendong does not do. Uh, continuing with Bensky, they translated uh, a, a book called uh, Convenient Reader of Materia Medica, and the quote here is Zhang Bing Cheng, the author explains, compared to Maimendong, Tianmendong is more bitter with abundant cold and surpasses it in sinking and directing downward. Uh, thus, Tianmendong also enters the kidney channel. When treating disorders, it is suitable for those with insufficiency of yin and pathogenic fire. That cold is really useful for the fire. And if you're kind of, you know, we've, again, we've talked about yin in the past, but the yin is the cooling nature of the body. So if you're deficient in it, the body can be much warmer and can go into this fire, you can have yin deficiency heat or yin deficiency fire. So that's really what this is very useful for. Chen and Chen also discusses these two herbs uh, and echoes this by saying Tianmendong and Maimendong clear heat, nourish yin, and moisten dryness. They can be used for patients with young lung yin deficiency with dry cough, scanty sputum, coughing of blood, and constipation. However, Tianmendong is very cold and is usually used when other herbs that clear deficient heat to treat kidney yin deficient fire with low-grade fever, night sweating, and nocturnal emissions. Maimendong treats heart yin deficiency with fire caused by heat in the yin nutritive level, manifesting in irritability, insomnia, and palpitations. So there you go. Uh, so uh, Maimendong more for the heart and sort of these emotional sort of things. Uh, and then, uh, well, I, don't, I wouldn't say palpitations are emotional, but they're definitely heart-related. And while it's more kidney-related with the Tianmendong. Brandon Wiseman also weighs in by saying both are used for damage to liquid and heat disease. Tianmendong has a more pronounced bitter cold nature than Maidong. Maidong is just a shorter way of saying Maimendong, just like Tiandong is a shorter way of saying Tianmendong. Uh, Tianmendong has a stronger capacity to clear fire than Maidong. It enters the kidney to enrich yin and is used for insufficiency of stomach yin with exuberant, exuberant vacuity fire. Maimendong has a milder heat clearing effect. However, it is less rich and slimy or cloying. It also has the power to clear the heart and eliminate vexation. So it is used for heart yin vacuity with effulgent heart fire. That's a comparison. Uh, combinations, as mentioned several times, Tianmendong is commonly used in combination with Maimendong, so these are used together. Uh, so that's one really kind of standard combination. Uh, Bensky has another one. It's also used with a uh, Cori 
cola or a gel that's uh, commonly known as hide glue, jockey glue. Uh, both herbs enrich the yin and moisten dryness. Tamandong is sweet, cold, and full of juice, entering the yin level to clear heat and direct fire downward. A jiao is sweet, neutral, and enriching, but rather greasy. It enters the yin to tonify the blood and stop bleeding. Together, tonification and clearing of heat proceed simultaneously to address fire or dryness in the lungs and kidneys with such symptoms as emaciation, tidal fever, tidal in the afternoon. So that's tidal fever means in the afternoon, parched throat, and dry cough with blood-streaked sputum. This combination can also be used for treating the dry pathogen attacking the lungs, usually in conjunction with light, moist, disseminating herbs. And finally, Chen Chen adds recently Tianmendong and Baihua Sheshe Sao, uh, Oldenlandia Olden Herba, have been used together to treat fibrocystic breast disorders and cancers of the breast and the lymphatic system. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we get into science. Okay, now we're doing doing well on time. Okay, contents. So according to Bensky and his team, Tianmendong has the following constituents. Many is amino acids, including asparagine. Um, so I have no idea if the aspera and uh, asparagus is the same as asparagine. If they're related in some way, I kind of feel like they are, but I don't know the history there to prove that. There are saponines, including ASP4, 5, 6, and 7. Polysaccharides, uh, including some polysaccharides means many sugars, including asparagus, polysaccharide A, B, C, and D. Uh, it also has 5-methoxymethylfurfurol and beta-cytosterol, which we, we see a lot in our herbs, this beta-cytosterol, which does have very beneficial medicinal qualities. So a lot of medicinal qualities can be related to beta-cytosterol, though I don't think it's a major component of the asparagus here, but still helpful. So uh, the beta-cytosterol, according to uh, Huang, which is about the pharmacology of herbs, um, may have anti-cancer properties in this specific herb. And Chen and Chen adds smilogenin uh, and neoketose as, as additions to this that may have some additional properties. So let's talk about the science real brief. Chen and Chen says it is used as an antibiotic and antineoplastic. Antineoplastic means anti-cancer, really. Neoplasm is a cancer. They had two small, N equals 42 and 72, so 42 participants in one study and 72 in another study. Uh, so those are relatively small studies. I showed some positive effects in treating hypertrophy of mammary glands or enlargement of mammary glands and breast cancer, respectively. So 42 showed it helped hypertrophy of mammary glands. 42 participated in the research. 72 participated in the breast cancer research. And as I mentioned earlier, a combination of both Tianmendong and Baihua Sheshe Tsao or Oldenlandia Herba helped malignant lymphoma in a small study of 41 patients. So small study, maybe something to kind of keep in mind. Let's talk about drug-herb interactions for a moment. One study showed some cytochrome P450 interactions with Tianmendong, including induction or inducing of 1A2 
E2E1, which are relatively minor isozymes. So isozymes are subtypes, basically, of an enzyme. You should have small impact on potential interactions. If that doesn't make a lot of sense. So when we talk about drug or interactions, we're looking at cytochrome P450 interactions as one of the risk factors. There's several. That's one of them. We're particularly looking for cytochrome P453A4 um, being affected because when that's affected, that particular enzyme is used in about 60% of drugs for metabolizing it. Um, after that, it goes down dramatically, down to like 20% of drugs for the next closest isozyme. Uh, 1A2 and 2E1s are relatively minor, so maybe 5 to 10% of drugs might use those. So not a huge uh, potential for drug or interactions, but they're there. it's there. Uh, a literature review did not find any potential P-glycoprotein or other transporter interactions. Again, that's just another risk factor. Gardner and McGuffin uh, rank this herb as safety class 1 and interaction class A, both being the safest ratings for safety and for interactions. So, uh, again, no real expectation of interactions for this, for this herb. Uh, Jens, who wrote uh, uh, Herb Drug Toxicities, uh, did not show any significant drug interactions either for this herb. He did mention a, a few things, but they were more in the realm of the cautions that we're about to talk about rather than any actual drug-herb interactions. Okay. So let's get into those concerns. According to Bensky and his team, Tianmen Dong is contraindicated in those with diarrhea from deficiency or cold. So again, we're worried about the digestive process. This is a hard-to-digest herb. And so if you have any issues with digestion, this is not an herb to take. So they continue by quoting the extension of the Materia Medica, saying the herb has its best effect in the treatment of lung heat. Its flavor is bitter, but it only drains. It does not attack. Those who are mainly cold should avoid it. Because it's very cold. And they translate a warning from the Changsha explanation of medicines. Its nature is cold, slippery, damp, and moistening. It greatly subdues the spleen and stomach and drains the large intestine. It should definitely be avoided by those with yang exhaustion and flourishing yin or earth dampness and loose stools. So that's basically, again, saying the similar thing. So as soon as, again, as I mentioned earlier, as soon as you say slippery in an herb, we're talking about it's hard to digest. And we're also talking about that it specifically will affect the spleen and stomach, which are the main digestive organs, according to Chinese medicine. So any deficiency or inadequacies in the spleen and stomach are not going to be able to assimilate the herb effectively. Chen and Chen similarly says use of TMN Dong is contraindicated when there is diarrhea due to deficiency and cold in the middle jowl or cough due to wind cold. So this Middle jiao is an interesting Chinese concept. It's the middle burner uh, of the triple burners, the three burners, which is, a, is a, an organ in Chinese medicine that does not exist in Western medicine. And really, I think it really kind of refers to uh, the ability to move fluids between three different areas of the abdomen. And so the middle jiao is where the spleen and stomach are located. And so that's what they're kind of referring to in this, in this context. So, and Brandon Wiseman agrees, saying it is contraindicated in spleen, stomach, vacuity, cold, with reduced eating and sloppy stool. So again, they're all very similar. If you're having trouble with your digestion, if your spleen and stomach are, are uh, 
affected and also if there's any cold going on this is not the herb for you this is a very cold herb so do not use this if there's any cold signs in the body at all all right we're going to start to wrap this up so summary so that was our herb of the day Timindong is a useful and safe herb used for specific conditions, especially gynecological and postmenopausal. It is cold and helps moisten the kidneys and lung. The only thing we have to worry about is digestion, the form of the Chinese spleen and stomach vacuity, and the ability to digest it properly. What a great herb. It really is a great herb if used properly. Like most of our herbs, if used properly, they're really great herbs. It's when we get in trouble when we don't use them properly. And we have something like Ma Huang, which was, you know, ephedra. We talked about that several episodes ago. Um, but this is an herb that was not used properly, and, and people were greatly harmed. Some died from that use, uh, not from a Chinese medical uh, practitioner, but this is a great herb. It is a fantastic herb. It's, it's, it's actually one of my favorite herbs, but only when used properly. And that's the bottom line here with this herb, as well as many other herbs that we have in our Materia Medica. So that was our episode of the day. Please join us on our next episode, where we will be looking at a very important formula, Urchentang, or two-aged herbs formula. This is a very foundational formula and many other formulas are based on it. So please don't miss out on this important information. And of course, we will have something a little different in this, in that episode, as we always do. Thank you very much for, for listening through this. Uh, if you could do us a, a couple favors, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage. It's verbsherbs.com. Uh, we get a few pennies when that happens. It's not much, and I haven't seen them for a while. But it would be nice and help us to continue to do this. If you did like uh, this podcast, please do us a huge favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. That just sends us over the moon and really helps us build the, the podcast and get more people interested in herbs and learning about herbs. So thank you very much. And, of course, you can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. Uh, please send me an email. If I don't respond back to you in a couple days, send me another email. I'm, sometimes I'm in the middle of something. I read my email, and then I forget to go back to it. And then when you send me this, I'm like, oh, oh, my God, I forgot to get back to you, and I get back to you right away. So I, don't f I feel bad that I didn't respond to you, not that you had to, and I feel bad that you had to send me a second email, but I don't feel bad, uh, don't feel bad sending me a second email. That's perfectly okay. So thank you very much. As always, I have my bibliography. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy, Timothy Dobbins, Dobbins, Roger Campbell. Campbell.